Let me open us in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you we can come before you again on the Lord's Day, a day to worship you and, and fellowship and rest. And we thank you that you've given us work to do, that we can work even as we're made in the image of God, or like you, and that we work. But unlike you, we're limited and lack uh, we, we're finite, we, we need rest, we uh, can only do so much, and as we consider this, these realities today, I pray that you would give us wisdom and, and discernment to structure our lives in a way that's fruitful, that, that bears much fruit for you, um, while still being faithful in, in everything that you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Our topic today is balancing work, family, and ministry. If you remember, we started off with Tim Keller's book. That was the first ten weeks or so, and now these last five weeks, I'm we're diving into this book from Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert, The Gospel at Work, and they have just some. It's almost like a Q and A, or they have chapters that are just um, pressing questions that they've seen people ask about work over their their life and their ministry. So today we're going to talk about this question, balancing work, family, and ministry. How many of you have felt any kind of tension as you deal with that question of how to balance work, family, and ministry? Never. Never. All right. Tom Tom doesn't agree. Yep. Tom, Tom's got it figured out. Yeah, I saw a lot of uh, laughs, smiles, nodding heads. Uh, this is a a tension that we all feel. Fortunately, is it Scott Adams, the author of Dilbert? He's got it figured out for us. Welcome to Dogbert Seminar on Work-Life Balance. First, review this list of your priorities. Family, job, exercise, vacation, must-dos, medical, eating, hygiene, sleep, romance, and holidays. You have time for three things. Work and holidays are two. You get to pick the third. <laughs> Sometimes it might feel that way, like, you know, life responsibilities are just overwhelming, they're more than you can handle, so really you just have to pick some thing that you're going to fail at, like what's, what's the least important, who am I least concerned about pleasing today, you know, is it, which area of my life can I neglect and, and not uh, get into major trouble, but, you know, as Christians we want to think differently about that. There, there are going to be seasons of life, obviously, when that, it feels that way, or days or weeks when there's just more than you can handle. But uh, what, we're, what we want to talk about today is, is fruitfulness. And how can we, how can we work to, to deal with these, these questions of balance and the tension between these different responsibilities and pursue fruitfulness, first of all, faithfulness, and then beyond that, as we have opportunity, fruitfulness in in these different areas. So, big idea, first overarching idea, uh, our primary calling in life is to follow King Jesus. Our secondary callings, work, family, and ministry, must be aligned underneath this overarching principle that we are doing them as followers of Jesus. Now, that shouldn't, that's not new to you, I don't think any of you, if you've been in the class, that's a pretty basic idea. But as we think through, you know, it gets messy as you get into like real life questions. You know, you, you have to make decisions about um, what your priorities are and how to 
um, what to put into your life and what not to put into your life and what to say no to. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with in the class. But first, just remember, reminding us, you know, we talk about vocation in the sense that work is a, is a calling from God. Um, the same thing, family is a calling from God. It's something God has given us to do. Ministry, we're called to serve in the church and ministry. But ultimately, our primary calling in life is to follow King Jesus. He, he's our, our king. And, you know, even... You know, following King Jesus, we, that's, you know, the basic idea of just being a disciple. We, we, you know, we learned about disciples last week in John 1. Come and see. We found the Messiah. Come and follow Jesus. That's what, you know, the, the Christians, before they were called Christians, were just disciples. They were followers of Jesus. So um, that's our primary calling. We can sometimes, sometimes following Jesus and serving in ministry in particular can be confused. We can begin to think that following Jesus means serving in particular ministry, so we're going to get into that. But the following Jesus doesn't change. That's an, a lifelong permanent calling, but all these other things actually do change. You know, work responsibilities can change. You could lose your job. You could get a new job. You could get promoted. You could get demoted. You can retire. Those things are changing. Even family is a responsibility that changes. You know, if you're raising children, you know family responsibilities change. It's one one way when you have small children, another way when they're growing up, and, and then they leave the home and they change again. Or maybe you're single. So family responsibilities change, and ministry responsibilities change too. Uh, you have different opportunities to serve in different ways in the church, different needs in the church. So all those things change, but following Jesus is constant. That's, we're never... We never stop doing that, even though our external responsibilities do change. So, a few points as we just think, as we think about how to balance work, family, and ministry. As I think, of, I, I, these are just a couple reflections on the fact that Jesus is King. And there's, if you read this book or if you've been in some of these classes, you know their their big uh, overarching structure is that we can t- tend toward either idleness or idolatry. Idleness being unengaged with work, thinking it doesn't really matter. Idolatry making work into all that matters. And that's true in a sense even just if we just think about how we use our time. You know, if we think about idleness and just not being engaged, not being in in our Christian life, maybe being lazy. You know, if Jesus is our king, then our time is not our own to just use however we see fit. He has the right to place demands on us that require time to obey. You know, Ephesians 5, Paul gives this command, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, when... When God rescued the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, you know, they got rid of their, their taskmasters, right? Their, their Egyptian slaveholders that could just demand that they work and labor, you know, tirelessly. And then what's the first thing he did when he brought them out? He brought them to Mount Sinai, and he gave them the law. It wasn't like they were just freed to just do whatever you want. They were freed to be his holy people, to live a certain way. So they... You know, this is nothing different than what Paul said in Romans 6, which is a little bit jarring, but he says you're set free from sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. You're actually, he says in Romans 6.22, you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God. So it's not as though 
you know, you now have the freedom just to live however you want. You have actually have a new master, and you are we are God's slaves, His His servants. Um, obviously, though, that leads to our blessing and life and and holiness, and what's that's what it means for us to flourish is to be a slave of God. So it's it's He's not a uh, a harsh taskmaster, but um, as we think about our use of our time, you know, some of us, depending on your life circumstance, you may. You know, you may just have a mindset that, you know, if you meet your min- this minimum threshold, if you work, put in your time at work, if your family's not falling apart, uh, if you go to church, then, you know, really the rest of the time, whatever you have left is just for you to do whatever you want. Play video games, watch, binge watch Netflix shows, you know, however, the ways you can fill your time with other things. And to those who are on that end of the spectrum, it's important for us to remember that Jesus is our king, and we can't just, we don't get to just use our time however we want. But then some of us might go on the other, the other direction, the opposite side. I don't know. I, I'm guessing, you know, if you're the, the ones that come to Sunday school at 9 a.m., you know, you may not be as much on that, that spectrum. You might go the other direction, where... You're, you want, you want to be faithful in all these things. You want to be a good worker. You want to do well in your, you know, care for your family. You want to serve in ministry. And, you know, you might feel like there's not enough hours in the day to do everything that you wish you could do. How many times do you say that or hear someone say that? You know, if only there were more than 24 hours in a day. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to sleep or eat or, you know, wouldn't it be nice if what we're really saying is if God hadn't put this constraint of time upon us and made us creatures that by nature, by design, we're, we're limited. We, we can't just go and go and go. You know, there's 168 hours in a week, 4,000 minutes about, 240,000 seconds. It's, but we can't change that. That's just the reality of the world God made and who we are in the world that God made. So, if you're on that end of the spectrum, why do you think, if you're the one, the one who you know, feels like there's never enough time, and you're filling your time with all these other things, you know, probably mostly good things, you know, but why, why do you think that is? Why is it that you're so busy, and so your time is so full? You know, everyone says they're busy, but really, everyone has the same amount of time. So, um, but why is it that we, that happens to many of us as we try to balance these different responsibilities. Some folks have a hard time saying no. <laughs> and why do we have a hard time saying no? They just feel obligated. They, they want to please people. Right. Yeah. Saying no to someone means you. maybe you think you're going to be taken down a notch in that person's view of you. You're not a, they're not really committed to the church, or you know, or at the at your, in your workplace. You know, he's not. He doesn't really. You're, maybe you feel like you're saying no to an opportunity to advance or to promote if you if you turn down that extra shift or that other responsibility. What else? You know, the reasons why some of us just fill up our time so much. It's nice to feel needed. Yeah. It's going to fall apart if I'm not there, maybe. Right. Yeah. You kind of feel a sense of insecurity almost. Like, if I can fill up my time, if I'm busy, if I'm productive, if I'm always helping, then, you know, I'm finding some meaning and purpose in being that one who holds it together. 
Yeah, it's important, I think, as we think about this question, to, to put that in that context. That you know, it is as, pro, as Psalm, um, Psalm one twenty seven it says, "It's vain that you rise up early, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep." And God is the only one who doesn't need to sleep. Psalm one twenty one four: He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. All of us, though, are limited. We're, we're creatures, and we we have to. I just accept that, and and trying to push against that. You know, it may, you may for a time be able to stretch yourself, and sometimes that's just inevitable. Like you have small children, you're not going to get the sleep that you need, or you have to work that extra shift because there's a fire, and you know somebody's got to prevent looters from going in. You know, things like there's realities like that that are that happen. Um, but if that becomes a lifestyle of just burning the candle at both ends. Then I think there's some heart issues that we that we should ask. You know, why am I filling my days? Why is it why is it so hard for me to find a sustainable rhythm of life? And one reality that of that is that we're all different as well. So we might look at other people and think, well, that's what they're able to do, and therefore I should be do the same. And you know, that, that reality that we need to realize, and we'll get into this later. But you know, God made us all different. We're all we have different gifts, different abilities different limits, and uh, we don't need to try and follow you know, a certain person necessarily, but really remembering that following Jesus is our goal. You know, there's always, and, to, and maybe it's worse today because there's so many opportunities for activity. Like, if you want your kids to really thrive, like, how many things can you enroll them in? Like, they can do music, they can do multiple sports, they can, you know, there's so many things that you can have your kids do. But at the end, at the root of it, like, why are you doing that? Like, why is it that you have to do so many things? You know, it, it's good. We want them, to, you know, we want to, there's a balance. We don't, I'm not saying we don't do it nothing with our, we, we do nothing with our children. But if we're, filling our time such that we can't balance work, family, and ministry, we should ask those questions. This is a little diagram that these authors use. This was the best resolution image I could find, so uh, forgive me. There's probably a better way I could have done that. Hopefully you can read that. You see here, you know, two guys falling off this arrow. Um, On the one side, oh, you can't even read that. Can anyone read that? (laughs) Um, We have a, a hole on the one side called idleness. We have a hole on the other side called idolatry. And then in between, there's this range of, on the one hand, you have faithfulness working upwards towards fruitfulness. So this is what Gilbert and Traeger suggest as a, as a structure to just think about our life responsibilities. On the one hand, you idleness in whatever area, whether it's in your family, work, or ministry, is being unengaged, being lazy, um, not, really, not really trying. Where idolatry is going to be the opposite end of the spectrum, where you're... you're prioritizing this thing more than you should and you're making it everything for you and then in between you have the spectrum that's going to be different at different seasons of life but there's going to be a minimum standard of just like what does it mean to be a faithful disciple you know underneath that if you're not being a faithful disciple then you're actually sinning you know what is that minimum standard we're going to talk about that and then you know but then above just that minimum standard we have room for added fruitfulness you remember John 15, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, and he says in John 15, 1 and 2, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So that's the idleness in a sense of like not even being faithful, not bearing fruit at all. And then he says, and every branch of mine that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So part of being a disciple 
built in is God, God's plan for us is that he would be pruning us and growing us so that we would bear more fruit. So we're going to think about this structure in, in those three different areas, you know, asking uh, really what is in work, in work, family, and ministry, uh, what is really the minimum standard? What is it that we really have to do and to even just be faithful as a Christian? And then how is it that we are, have a tendency towards idolatry, towards falling off the other end of the spectrum? And this is going to be something that we just, you know, I've, I don't know, you, many of you have lived longer than I have, but I found over my years of life that it's a continual process of evaluating. Since we're dealing with dynamic situations, all these things are changing, work, family, and ministry is always changing. So in a sense, this is just part of our, and there may be times where it's wise to take, take be reflective, maybe at the beginning of the year, and just evaluate these uh, realities, but in a sense, something you should always be mindful of. I know I've found that it's helpful to be mindful of, you know, having the, the temperature, so to speak, of is your family healthy? Is your wife healthy? Are your children healthy? Are you spending the right time with them? Are you neglecting areas of work? Or are you neglecting opportunities to serve in the church? And that one's a little bit tricky because there's always more opportunities to serve in the church. Uh, you know, there's people there and there's always... But again, you're limited, so you, we cannot neglect any one of those opportunities. So, I mean, any one of those areas of service. So we'll start with family. What is the minimum standard for faithfulness in the family? If you don't do what, then you are sinning. Adam? Yeah, providing for your family, that's part of it. Leading them spiritually? Yep, if you're... What else? Depends what your role is. Yep, right. Depends what your role is. Be present. Present? And that means a lot more than just actually physically being there. Right. Yeah. Physically, it include, probably includes physically, but it also includes mentally, emotionally, yeah, being... Yeah. Right, being there. Yeah. Well, the minimum standard according to God is... Right? Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, standard are we looking at? Well, we are looking at God's standard, but we are not. You know, that's. A, I didn't think of that angle, Janelle. <laughs> no, really. um, um, Sorry. Because <laughs> um, God's standard is, you know, if you look at Scripture, wives submitting your husbands. Submit to your own husbands as the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. So, I mean, and then children and fathers. But, yeah, that standard is one that, in a sense, we're always falling short of. That we're never, we're never living up to that standard perfectly. So, someone help me out here. What's the difference? Does that mean that we're just always failing? As uh, Is there a, a healthy balance where you can you know you're not doing it perfectly but you are you know as a husband your wife would say yes on the whole my husband loves me and you are caring for your children so that they know their father loves them and is providing for them i think there are ways that we can and i'm open to feedback here you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think that there is a standard of health that where you can be faithfully on the whole you're faithfully fulfilling this responsibility you're not doing it perfectly it's not like you've earned god's You've not lived a righteous life that God would look at and say it's faultless, but you are faithful in in um, fulfilling that responsibility. Does that does that distinction make sense? And would you anyone want to clarify or, or help me out to understand why that is true? Well, you can still be faithful in what you were doing and 
it doesn't it isn't perceived that way you know um, because you're still dealing with subjective things like I can think of families where they have faithfully served the Lord and and, and done it well as a as a parent and then you're still watching kids that, that rebelled and walked away or you know so what do you do in that situation when you still they didn't fail in, in the standard right so I feel like the subjective definition yeah and it's it is probably going to be hard to draw a hard and fast line and say like I've I've done it's going to vary with circumstances but and the results aren't you're right the results aren't going to be the proof of whether you've been faithful as you know, you, we don't have control of the hearts of our children. So, you know, the salvation of our children is not in our control such that we can look at that as a metric of whether we've been faithful or not. But before the Lord and your conscience, you know, I think we can all we can all be at a place, I think, where I'm open to correction here if some of you have some other insight. But, you know, I, I know I've found in my own heart that as I've looked at that, I can look back and see seasons where I know I've been neglecting my family responsibilities, where I've been disengaged, I've not been caring for my children well or my wife well, I've been not listening to her well, I've been, you know, doing what I want to do, basically, and asking her to tag along. But, you know, by God's grace, I know that I've grown in those things. So in a sense, that's, it's, it's a moving target. And like, as you grow, there's probably, gonna, there's going to be more areas of growth. And if anyone says they've arrived, they love their wife perfectly, they care for their children perfectly, then, you know, they they probably uh, have something still to learn. But there is a a way to healthily to be healthy in this area without being perfect. Does that does that make sense? Or yeah, you know? I've thought of it as perfection isn't the goal; it's direction. So, what's the arc? Where are you growing? Are you moving towards faithfulness mm-hmm. in those areas? But not have I arrived? Right. Do you even care? Are you in the fight? Yeah. If you're in the fight, then you're in a good spot. But if you're not in the fight, you're not that, that pressing in, you know, in those different areas to evaluate, assess yeah. know, how I am doing and then making those course corrections is what spirit needs. So. Does that make sense, Janelle? Have I answered your... I wasn't ready for that curveball. What about if you're single? Like some of you here are single. Is this um, what's the minimum standard for faithfulness, or what does it mean to be healthy in in growing in this area? I mean, it's going to be different. I mean, you can even see here, as Scott pointed out, you have different responsibilities: wives, husbands, children, fathers. There's it looks different, and it's going to look in, look different in different times of life. You remember, actually, Paul said in First Corinthians seven that those who are married are going to have divided interests, and those who are single actually do not. They they can really just focus in on serving the Lord. So, in a sense, that time if you are, if the Lord has put you in a place where you're single for a, a period of time, then and maybe for a long time, maybe your life, you're in a place where that this balance becomes a little different. And Paul even looked at that as a good thing in his life, at least, that he was able to dedicate himself to ministry more without having the, the balancing act of caring for a wife. So yeah, this is an area, <laughs> maybe minimum standard, maybe that language is, is misleading, but because there is something that we are always going to be growing in. And I think, yeah, as Steve said, if we're not growing in it, then we're we are that in itself it means that we're probably neglecting it. Jonathan, I think uh, standard of faithfulness to my family also dictates how I interact with people. 
want to explain what you mean? Well, uh, time with others is one. Uh, how I would interact with women who are not my wife is another. You know, yeah. Um, trying to help my kids in their interaction with neighbor kids, where my my normal choice would be to not interact with them. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you know the Bible recognizes that it's going to be different. You think of I'm thinking of Deuteronomy 24 when it says a man who's newly married he shouldn't go out in the army for the year. Like this, what it looks like to be faithful in leading your family or or being in, in this relationship with in, in your family is going to change over time. So again, it's an issue really of the heart of submitting ourselves to the Lord and, and keeping a clean conscience in how we're obeying these commands. But it can go, it can become unhealthy as well. If family becomes all that you care about, all that, you know, we're thinking about work, family, and ministry, if family becomes the, the idol, the prime, prime only responsibility you, you care about, then we can fall into idolatry. I old pastor, the pastor at my previous church, well, many years ago, I went to a church in Rochester, New York. He used to always say, when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it will ultimately destroy you. So, are there ways that we can idolize family, that family can become our God, in a sense? You know, I think in one sense that that we talked about a second earlier, we hinted at the overcommitted family. If you're just going and going and going and you have no time for other responsibilities, if you have no time for church because you filled up your life with family vacations and family commitments, maybe because you want to make sure your kids you know, don't miss out on the opportunity that you missed out on. I think that can be idolatry. What other, are there other ways that you see idolatry raise its head in the area of your family responsibilities? I remember seeing it. When we had our kids in like sports, you, know, you see families are clearly dedicated to having a kid in every sport. And so it's a form of idolatry. Uh, maybe they want their kids to be professionals. You know, right. That does, you can see it take place over. Even people that we've seen to be years like in church. Um, the Rapinas. <laughs> I'm going to call out people. Uh, yeah, there's total dedication to, you know, to sports and it just took place over everything else. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus warned about the, the dangers of loving your family more than him. If, it, if, if a good thing that family is, God made it, it's a good thing. But if it becomes more important than following Jesus, than discipleship to him, then it can become an idol. I also thought of the example of those families that really disengage from the church because the father's the head of the house and he's going to do church at home and he's going to be the leader and he doesn't really have a, see the need to submit to other leaders. I think that can be an unhealthy way where family becomes more than God made it to be. All right, that's, we're going to go from family, go ahead, if you want to add something. I was going to say, I could see this looked up to as, you know, a wife putting all my energy into the kids and not leaving any for anything else. I think that's going to look different when you're talking about right. really little ones or how, you, how many kids you have, that's going to look but, you know, making sure that that's being prioritized. And even another one that I thought of was not teaching the truth of Scripture to your kids when it offends them, especially as they're getting older. I mean, it, that's hmm. hard, and sometimes it feels like... We've seen families back off of something that the Bible says because their child is engaged in it, and they don't want right. to hurt that relationship. Yep. So they just 
conviction. Yeah. So that's one area of, I mean, in a sense that's limitless and that we can always grow. We're never going to reach the standard. The ultimate standard, what God's goal is for us to love our wives, care for our children, raise them perfectly. But we can be growing in, in faithfulness in that. But we cannot, and I, we should not be doing that at the expense of these other areas of our Lives. So what about ministry? What does it mean, and again, what is the minimum standard for faithfulness in ministry? Uh, in one sense, I don't mean God's standard. Like, what does God demand of us in ministry or in the church? But what does it look like to be a healthy disciple of Jesus? <laughs> Show up. Showing up's a good start. Is that, is that enough? Is just showing up? I mean... Does that mean that you've arrived in the sense that you're it, you're a healthy church member? Clock in for ninety minutes, clock out. To have an open heart to what God wants you to do. Yeah. Receptive to His voice. Yeah, I mean it, it depends. It might be in your time of phase of life. Ninety minutes on Sunday is all that you can manage because you got small children and you got a ton of work. And or, I mean, there that might be there might be a season where that is all that that's a, that's all you can do um, but you what, what else do we see in the new testament i mean what kind of what is the expectation of of faithfulness for just ordinary people in the church not necessarily the pastors and missionaries and the pauls and all that but just the ordinary people that filled up the churches in the new testament what was the standard of faithfulness for them Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at Acts 2, you see how the church is a fellowship. They're caring for each other's needs. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, You're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. You know, that whole chapter talks about spiritual gifts, and we can sometimes just avoid that whole topic because it you know talks about healing and tongues and things that we don't feel comfortable talking about. But I think... You know, you read through 1 Corinthians 12, you see in there, you know, God, by God, there's, there's spiritual gifts because they're given by the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers. And they're given for the common good. They're not given for just our own spiritual growth or our own benefit. They're given for the good of the body. You know, the verse 14 in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. You know, the, it's not just a, we're not a, a group that gets together with, you know, where the, the pastors run the show and, and we just all show up. Uh, we're, we're an organic organism. We're, in a, we're, in a, we're an assembly of, of, of believers, a, a spiritual house that God is building. And in, in verse 18, this actually says that God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So um, all of us are given spiritual gifts to, and the intent is that we would use those to to serve one another in different ways. It's going to look different for different people. That's Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, you're not all called to serve in the same way, but we are all called to, to exercise our spiritual gifts to serve others. You know, it's interesting, even in the New Testament, you see the tendency to neglect that, which is what the author of Hebrews was confronting in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So, you know, first century, 
people already thinking, I don't need to go to church, uh, or I don't need to, you know, maybe they didn't call it church, I don't need to assemble together, we can worship God on our own, we, st- we still believe in the gospel, like, why do we need to meet together? But Paul is saying, you need to meet together to stir one and up, stir up one another to love and good deeds, to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, yeah, we're never going to do that perfectly, but growing in faithfulness, in serving one another, is God's expectation for just normal Christian growth. Normal, normal disciple, that's the standard, the expectation. How does that become idolatrous, serving in ministry? Where do we see that go from being healthy, growing service of the body to idolatry? Scott? Can you put uh, too much ministry in front of family? There's probably a priority in, in the work, family, ministry. You might rank those in different orders, but I would say that your family comes first. Yeah. Yeah, that's really a, a, a good litmus test in all of these areas. If you're thinking about work, family, and ministry, if you just think, well, am I pursuing this to the point that I'm neglecting one of these other areas? If you're sinfully neglecting your family, then something is wrong in in your something is out of balance. So, what else? How what do we see that ways that we're susceptible to idolizing ministry? Making the service itself the goal rather than the that we're the for. Yeah, yeah, it can be tem- tempting because we're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for Jesus, and I'm I'm a disciple of Jesus, but. We, so we can easily mix the two and think that following Jesus means doing this ministry to the point that we can't say no to ministry even when it becomes obvious that it's not healthy for us, that our personal lives are suffering, our families are suffering, we're neglecting our work, you know, whatever that might be. Ministry, like any good thing, a good thing, when it becomes an ultimate thing, it will ultimately destroy you. I think a lot of that, I know I, I've seen in my own heart over the years, just a f- fear of man, a desire to please people, a desire to gain a certain level of like a, a reputation, be known to, and be approved by others. That is really at the heart of, of the excesses of where I've seen in, in my own life and others where we pursue ministry into idolatry. Caleb? I'm just curious, how would you say that we should distinguish between following our calling to follow Jesus and idolizing ministry? Yeah, that's a good question. It's one that you probably ask for most of your life. One way I think, a helpful way is to think about these other areas though. Work, you know, if you have other responsibilities, you know, you may feel like you're doing well in your family. (laughs) But ask your wife, like, what, what does she think about how you're doing and caring for her needs and loving her? Or if you have children and, you know, ask... You know, honestly evaluate how you're doing in those other areas. If you are neglecting your family, then it's likely that you've prioritized ministry higher than you should. But, I don't know, those of you who have served in ministry longer than I have know it's, it's going to be a, a dynamic situation where you, there is always going to be opportunity for more fruitfulness. The, the, the needs are never ending. You've never, you've never met all the needs, the spiritual needs of those whom you're, who are in your church. So there's always more to be done. But part of recognizing our limitation as creatures is being okay. That I, I can't be God to that person. I can't meet all of their needs. God's going to have to be God in that situation. I have to say no to that opportunity. And you know, the, God's going to have to keep the world spinning somehow without me. Um, you know, hope, hopefully he can, ha- he can handle it. You know, we, 
that sounds funny, but that's kind of the way we end up thinking sometimes. That if I do, if I say no to that, then what's going to happen to that ministry or that person? You know, they they might go off the rails. But if that leads you to a pattern, you know, there might there might, there's going to be times when ministry demands are going to cause you to do things that. Um, negatively impact your family. You know, you're going to have a, you're going to go to help someone and you're going to, you know, not be around for your family for a time. But if that's a pattern where you're habitually neglecting your family for the sake of ministry, then it's, it would be wise to consider or to ask these questions and get, get at the heart of the matter. Is this, is this idolatrous? You know, you, you saw that even in the New Testament is there was an, a tendency to idolize pastors and certain people that's really what was going on in in Corinth where you know they were all following different people what you know what is Apollos what who is what is Paul's servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each you know Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 6 I planted Apollos watered but God gave the growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth that's really all of us are just servants of God to accomplish his work he's the one who gives the growth and we're called to be instruments that he uses in that. I know that's, you know, Caleb, that's a difficult, I mean, there's not going to necessarily be easy answers to that question, because we do want to grow in fruitfulness. And as we have opportunity, that might mean taking on more ministry opportunities. But we do need to look into our hearts and consider, are we neglecting other things? And and we need to be willing to say no when it means, uh, when it is clear that we're doing too much. All right, I'm, I'm afraid I won't be able to give satisfactory answers to all those. You know, that this is part of what it means to live by faith, kind of wrestling with these things in, in Christian discipleship. So what about in the area of work? What's the minimum standard for faithfulness? What does it mean to be a healthy disciple of Jesus in your workplace? Just to start off with, you know, just providing for your needs is a good is a good um, starting point. I mean, having working enough that you can provide for your family is um, is a is a minimum threshold. If you're not doing that, Paul says you're actually worse than an unbeliever. That you know, being a Christian means working hard to provide for your needs and the needs of those around you, and also being able to give to others. You know, he said in First Thessalonians four, um, verse. I'll start at verse eleven. We urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. Uh, what about jobs where idleness is actually the norm, where it's the, actually the expectation, or that, you, that it, being inefficient and is really not, not a big deal? Uh, what is, how does a Christian... Get a different job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there might be a time to say yeah, this is systemic here. Idleness is this, this is a place where I'm not going to be able to flourish and, and be faithful. And or it might mean if you have influence and can set an example, working to be more efficient and to be diligent and maybe bringing others along with you. But that may or may not work. And in the other end of the spectrum, you might have some jobs where they demand everything. Or if you don't, if you don't show up on the weekends, if you don't take that Sunday shift, if you uh, if you don't if you don't just put in the long hours, then uh, you're going to either lose the job or you're going to miss out on opportunities. Or there's an expectation. And so, in those cases, it might be the same thing. Where actually leaving the job is the the best 
course, or if there's not a path where you can walk that is that is healthy in that regard, then then leaving the job might be the right course. Um, so we've been over this in previous classes, but just as a reminder, you know there are ways work itself. It's a, though it's a good thing when it becomes an ultimate thing, it also will ultimately destroy you. Uh, we can see how do we see work become idolatrous? Take that good thing, make it an ultimate thing. How does it destroy you? The very first place, if you remember, we talked about work being idolatrous, Genesis 11. Come, let us make a tower, a city with a tower with its top to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. That's when work becomes something that you're pursuing a good thing. It's a good thing, but you're doing it to build up your reputation, gain prestige, gain recognition for yourself. It has You've crossed the line from just being fruitful. I mean, God may bless you, you may be fruitful and have opportunities to grow, advance, be prosperous in your work, and that's not a bad thing. But when you when you're pursuing those same things, it might externally it might look the same. You might, you might have opportunities to be prosperous and advance in your career, but you can do it as a disciple of Jesus, humbly doing it as unto the Lord, serving the Lord in that work. Or you can be doing it to make a name for yourselves, and that's really when you're going to fall off the edge and uh, from just being fruitful to being idolatrous. Or toiling to acquire wealth, um, you know, Pro- uh, Solomon had said, "Do not toil to acquire wealth." Proverbs twenty three four. Be discerning enough to desist when your eyes light on it; it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. So, in summary, you know, life's messy. These all these areas, work, family, and ministry are dynamic. They're always changing. We're never going to do it perfectly, but. The expectation for just normal Christian discipleship is that we will be, we're not going to fail at any of the, we, in one sense we always, we're always falling short, but the expe- there's an expectation that we will just be healthy, healthily serving and growing in these areas. Um, God gave us these commands, and we, not, we're never going to do them perfectly, but we need to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading and working to be faithful in all of them, work, family, and ministry. And if you felt, you know, if, as you're evaluating your life, if you feel like y- you are growing in all these areas and another opportunity comes up in, in the church or a promotion at work, or and it may be that, you know, th- this is the, the structure, but that it would be helpful to think about those opportunities. Can I take this promotion and still be faithful in caring for my family and still be faithful in serving in the church? Or can I take on that ministry responsibility and still be faithful in my job and still be faithful in caring for my family? It's not going to make everything black and white. Uh, and there's going to be an element of just having to to trust the Lord in the midst of making those decisions. But I hope this is helpful to not fall off the horse one of those ways. The goal, remember, in John 15 is that as disciples that we would bear much fruit in these different areas of our lives. So a few points of application before we bring up our interview, Eve, today. Um, you know, we must remember that we're finite, limited creatures and that God does not need us to keep the world in operation. We must guard against the dangers both of neglecting our God-given responsibilities and idolizing our God-given responsibilities. And as God gives opportunity, we have the freedom to pursue greater fruitfulness in work, family, or ministry, provided that we are being faithful in the other areas. If you have a question, you can mull it over. Come talk to me afterwards. I want to call Sarah Geyer up. We're going to hear from Sarah about her vocation, how the gospel helps her 
has helped her in that. I asked one of my kids this morning, oh, I told them that I was, we were going to be interviewing Sarah, and I asked them if they knew what Mrs. Geyer did, and my child responded, isn't she a soccer coach? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's all right, isn't it? I, I called you up here because you're a soccer coach. Right? Um, um, what kind of work do you do, Sarah? I understand you've done different things as a nurse over the years, so I don't know if that's what you were getting there or if you wanted to explain that now, like some of the different... When I started my career, I spent 15 years as an emergency room nurse, um, mostly at Perry Reading, and then about two and a half years ago or so, I've been feeling this, I really got to get out of this emergency room pull, um, and, but really wanting to do something where I was addressing, like, more of a public health situation. So I'm in the school district now. I'm a district nurse um, up in Chess Lake City primarily. Um, and that is not the nurse where, you know, you come in and the kids put the Band-Aid on. And that's not what I do. <laughs> that sounds fun. Every now and then I get a chance to put a Band-Aid on. Um, but primarily I do, like, case management. So I create care plans for kids who have chronic health conditions and I teach the, um, the staff how to manage those things, and I teach the staff how to manage emergencies, like if a kid has a allergic reaction or has a seizure, like I teach staff how to take care of that, um, and I screen students for things like hearing and vision, and yeah. I don't know what I do, so, case management. I don't know if you're going to get to this, but what can you share why you felt like you had to get out of the emergency room? Oh. <laughs> Well, there was a lot. There was a lot of things, but I had just done it for a long time. Yeah. Um, it was. This was pre-COVID, just to say. So it wasn't COVID, but that was a blessing to not not be there for that. It's just a high stress, and like it's very reactive. No matter like you're just reacting to whatever bad decisions or bad things are happening, and I just wanted to be in a more proactive role. Yeah. Like, on a different role. So how does your work reflect God's good design from creation? So I, I think that, I mean, primarily I'm working with the human body, right? Mm-hmm. And God's design is just evident when you, when you look at the way our bodies work, and it's actually a wonder that they actually do work um, so well most of the time. Right. Because um, they're, pretty, they're pretty amazing. So it's, it's a reflection of... Uh, you know, we're us in that reflection of the image of God, and and really, the more I get into and learn about the human body, the more you see that um, God's creation. It's mm. it's pretty neat. And now, working primarily with kids, it's like a a cleaner image of mm. God's design. <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. It doesn't have all the years of junk food and abuse and yeah. not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's cuter. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing that I mean, we we can't design anything that works for eighty years, and given the the tall, you know, the way that it gets the human body gets treated. How, how does the fall impact work in your field? Okay, so that that beautiful design um, that we were we were made with is it's broken, um, and that's where nurses come in so much is is in the the breakdown of that that perfect design and. So I think that's one major way as far as like the 
the actual health mm-hmm. first thing that I right. did. Um, and I, that was the majority of my career, all in the emergency room, was trying to put Band-Aids on and, and plug holes where that perfect design was, was broken. Um, but also, I think one thing that I see more in this role is the design of the family unit. And as we're talking about it, you know, it's so broken. It's so broken, and the kids are so affected by hmm. their their broken homes and the things that they, the way that they're treated, the way that they're raised, their lack of a, a parent, their parents that are choosing alternative lifestyles. Um, like that's a huge impact that I see hmm. um, from the fall there at work, um, and the way that outside of just the the family design when parents are making sinful choices even outside of that design maybe it's because of their drug abuse or or whatever they've got the effects that it has on the kids right as well yeah i think it was martin martin Lloyd jones no yeah he was the doctor before he became a pastor and remember him telling a story of like his supervisor who, who had basically said that only about a third of the cases that he saw were actually medical. The other two-thirds, you know, were related, related to other lifestyle choices. It wasn't necessarily a medical problem. But the prevailing view then was, well, if they'll pay me to write them a prescription for something, then, you know, I'll, um, we'll still, you know, we'll make some money off of it, basically. But, yeah, it, there's a lot of, I'm sure that's, that's true in your wor- workplace. There's a lot of other things outside of just the body, social factors. Uh, that, yeah, um, the, the root cause is almost always um, not purely medical. Hmm. There's there's a social dynamic that's caused. What about the? How does the fall impact? Like you know, you being on the the helping side, you know, whether it's in the hospital or now for public health. Like, how does the fall influence the organizations that you're in, and your you know even yourself as you're like the helping. Professional. I think, like in nursing, and there's all these mm-hmm. nurses in this room. There's a lot of room to. You're you're acting in a way that like is honoring God because you're healing someone, but that is also the organization's role is is in healing. So as far as being in the hospital, I never I never really felt like the organizations stood in the way. There there maybe were some procedures here and there that mm-hmm. wouldn't have been something I would have chosen right. to be part of. But. But kind of on that line, um, a lot of people up here have talked about their coworkers and working in the emergency room. I really didn't have a lot of Christian nurses that I worked with. That was something I really didn't see a lot of. Um, working in the school district, and particularly the school district I work in, I am surrounded by believers. So that is so night and day for me um, as we walk, work through problems. Hmm. And, yeah, it's a blessing. What about, how does the gospel reshape your perspective on work? Um, so, mostly it's in the way I do, you know, maybe do the job. Mm-hmm. That was a struggle that I, I worked through with in the emergency room because you have pretty evil things coming in and, and right. people that have done evil things. Or, and I really took on the, you're God's child, that what you chose and the actions that you were all sinful and looked at everybody through the eyes of Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ created that person. Mm-hmm. God created that person. And, and it wasn't my job to be there to judge them. 
in that, just my job to, to fix their body. Mm-hmm. That was in the emergency um, room perspective. It's different in schools, and like I said, I get to work with other believers now, so it's pretty, that's super great. Not, not everybody, but we spend a lot of time, I say almost every day, taking a deep breath and going like, God's on the throne. He's in control of all of these mm. situations because things are ugly. And if you really get into public health, it's sad. There's a lot of bad stuff happening out there. But God is on the throne and he's in control and being able to work from, from that perspective and mm-hmm. just being able to help where we can and <clears throat> trust that God's in control is definitely probably not the way some of my non-Christian right. people in yeah. work, but... Helps. Yeah, I'm sure that can be overwhelming. Yeah, and I like what you said. Just almost, it sounds like just having a perspective to show mercy and grace to someone, even if even if they're here because they make bad decisions. You know, you're not in a place to condemn them for that, but to help them hopefully get their life on the right direction. Yeah. Uh, do you find I don't know? Do you find opportunities to share the gospel with people in your profession, or is that does that feel like you're kind of breaching this? you know, this line of what's appropriate in the workplace? I, I work primarily with believers, so I don't, at least, yeah. and I, would, I don't talk to the kids about it. That's not something that if a kid asks me questions, I'll always answer right. them, honestly, but I don't work really directly with the kids very much. I work directly with my coworkers a lot. So, yeah, super thankful for that. Yeah. Well, did you have anything else? Any any questions for, for Sarah? I know we've got some other nurses out here. Any similarities or, I don't know, Janelle, do you want to add anything as you've thought about nursing and, and your the gospel? And <laughs> Maybe I should say... Uh, <laughs> okay, Scott has a question. You know, in regards to our conversation today, have you found it difficult to balance family and work? Yep. <laughs> 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 It is hard. It's hard to, to be a working mama sometimes, but we've just been able to, to make it work. When I worked in the, I started full-time in the emergency room, and the more kids we had, the less I worked, but I just continued to work. For a while there, it was one day a week, and Donovan works four tens, and I work a 12-hour shift, and we squeeze a weekend in together, and then move into the, the school job. My kids are, three out of the four, are in a traditional school setting, so I work when they're at school, and I'm able to be done with work most of the time when they're they're out of school. Yeah, it sounds like that's been a moving target over the years. Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. Change and how do you and I don't know Donovan could speak into this too, but how do you guys as a family unit like reassess and ensure you're not falling off the horse one way or the other? I think more than anything, I think a lot of us would agree that it's it's a constant ongoing conversation that you're having. Yeah. So yeah, very early when she was working full time after college, I was working. We didn't have kids. It was easy. We worked. We had together. Then you started introducing kids, and so this conversation begins. Okay, well, now what are we trading off to help take care of them? But maybe a little less for her here in this perspective or area. And then as we've had more kids, you know, that conversation again is constantly reevaluating. Are the kids old enough now and are in school? What does that look like? What do we do with those hours? Or how can we use our schedules appropriately with each other? Um, leaving the hospital, like she's talking about gifts for those school work hours, so it's great. She's able to you know, work and still 
fulfill God's desire for her to mm-hmm. help and serve in, in that setting, in the healthcare setting, um, but still be there to pick up the kids from school and get them dropped off in the morning and be there when we're doing our school and family time. So that has ebbed and flowed throughout our marriage and what our kids know as their lives, but it's it's constant. I don't think it's a conversation that ever stops for any of us. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we're constantly looking at it. What does this look like now? And even planning. What is this going to look like next year? God willing. Right. You know, what are our, our next steps? So. Right. And we're constantly on this like, okay, go team, go. And it's not just Dalton and I. It's the kids. And Hannah's 16 now. She, hey, you got Monday and Wednesday. You're picking up the kids because I have I have meetings. Um, like pulling them in the more that they get. Tuesday night's your dinner night. Mommy's got to be in the class. Um, yeah. And pulling them into it too. Yeah. All right. Well, I put you on the spot, Janelle, but did you want to add anything about no, nursing? I'm good. All right. <laughs> All right. Let me close in prayer then. Thanks, Sarah. Our Father in heaven, God, we just thank you so much for your grace that even when, as we fail and struggle to find balance in these areas where, in, in one sense, the needs are endless in our families and in our in in our church and there's always more we can do in work and we just we thank you that you give us grace as we work to to find a healthy balance in these areas to be faithful disciples of jesus and i pray that you just continue to guide us give us wisdom give us discernment um, help us to, to understand better how to how to be faithful and and as you give us opportunity to to, to pursue Uh, fruitfulness in the church and in our families and in our workplace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.